Let's continue reading verses 16 through 27 of Joshua chapter 9. Now in the second half of the chapter, we have the consequences of the deception by the Gibeonites. Israel had to maintain the covenant that they made with them. As a result, the Gibeonites became tabernacle and temple servants in Israel. Joshua 9, beginning at verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the rulers said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. Then Joshua called for them and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you? when you dwell near us. Now therefore you are cursed, and none of you shall be free from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because your servants were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land, and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were very much afraid for our lives because of you, and have done this thing. And now here we are in your hands. Do with us as it seems good and right to do to us. So he did to them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel so that they did not kill them. And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. Once again, let's begin the second half of Joshua 9 with some background notes. Israel wasn't defeated by the Gibeonites, but they were deceived by the Gibeonites. God had said in no uncertain terms that all the immoral and idolatrous pagan nations were to be eliminated from the land. The Lord did not want his people contaminated by paganism in any way, shape, or form. I'm reading Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Now, I'd like you to take note of this. Because you're going to get this question somewhere along the line. How could a good God let all those nations in Canaan be conquered and all the killing that went on? Remember this chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me, to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you, and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples 
on the face of the earth. Remember that chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 7. But God's people were taken in by the Gibeonites and deceived and ended up making a peace treaty with them. Verse 17 indicates that the covenant was made with more than just the people of the city of Gibeon. It was actually made with the Hivites, as we see back in verse 7. And it included the cities of Kephira, Birath, and Kiriath-Jerim, as well as the city-state of Gibeon. In verse 18, we read, But the children of Israel did not attack them, that is, these cities of the Hivites, because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, and all the congregation complained against the rulers. The reason the congregation was complaining here is because the people would not be able to inhabit these cities. God had said that only certain cities, like Jericho, had to be completely destroyed. The rest of the cities, the people could take over and live in them. I'm reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. So it shall be, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. That's why the congregation is complaining. Because Joshua and the leaders of Israel were tricked into a peace treaty with the Hivites, these cities and their vineyards and olive groves were off limits to the children of Israel. They would not be able to enjoy fruit from this portion of the land. I think you can already see a spiritual lesson here, right? Let's move now to our doctrinal or teaching points for this second half of Joshua chapter 9. Doctrinal point number one. Serious covenants made before God must be honored. Serious covenants made before God must be honored. Verse 16, And it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Verse 19, Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel, now therefore we may not touch them. Joshua and the leaders of Israel were deceived into making a covenant with the enemy, and now it must be honored. Now you might say, why not just admit the mistake, break the covenant, and do away with the Gibeonites and the rest of the Hivites? Why not? Because it was a covenant made before God. Do you see the lesson? Serious covenants made before God must be honored. Let me ask you. Do you know of any serious covenant that a believer could make before God today which must be honored, even when the mistake is realized and admitted? The obvious example, of course, is marriage of a believer to an unbeliever. The Bible clearly states that a believer should not marry an unbeliever. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But let's say a believer is deceived and doesn't check things out and doesn't pray about it and is blinded by love or is convinced that his or her fiancé will become a believer after marriage. But then like Israel, verse 16, this believer wakes up three days after the honeymoon and realizes his or her mistake. What now? Well, just get a divorce and start over, right? 
No way. A covenant was made before God. A foolish covenant, yes, but it must be honored. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 clearly states that divorce is not the solution to an unequal yoke-type marriage with all its potential problems. And the unequal yoke of marriage is not the only example of a serious covenant made before God that must be honored. Take, for example, a serious financial commitment, like buying a house or a car beyond our means. Before God, you must make those monthly payments. It'd be wrong not to. And try selling a new car that you just foolishly bought, and now you have to sell it because you can't make the payments. Not easy. You're entangled. You know, I've had students drop out of college, Bible college, because they foolishly purchased a car or something else beyond their means, and they had to get a full-time job in order to make payments. Think through your decisions before you make binding commitments, because serious covenants made before God must be honored. Doctrine point number two. Foolish covenants made before God may have long-term consequences. Foolish covenants made before God may have long-term consequences. The consequences of Israel's covenant with the Gibeonites was not short-lived. Israel had to live with these consequences for years to come. In 2 Samuel chapter 21, we read of the tragic repercussions that followed King Saul's murder of some Gibeonites when he didn't honor the covenant. Seven of Saul's descendants were hanged until dead as a result. We can be sure that bad fallout will follow foolish commitments that we make, sometimes for years to come. Again, think of the sad results that can come from a believer marrying an unbeliever. Children may be affected for generations. Think of the bad fallout that results for years to come when Christians entangle themselves with worldly commitments. I know of a Christian family that bought a small hotel as a business, but they continued to operate the tavern associated with the hotel because that's where the profits were. It has led to all kinds of long-range problems for that family and lots of other people as well. Now, there is some good news here. Verse 27 says that, And that day Joshua made them woodcutters and water carriers for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord in the place which he would choose even to this day. The Gibeonites at least became servants for the Levites and helped with the work of the tabernacle and later the temple. Furthermore, we read in 1 Chronicles 12.4, one of King David's mighty men was a Gibeonite. And when we come to the book of Nehemiah, we find that a group of Gibeonites assisted in the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. Nehemiah 3, verse 7. So God does pick up the pieces in spite of our foolish covenants. God is gracious. Another illustration. You know, I know of a Christian woman who married a very wealthy unbeliever. Since that time, she has realized her mistake, and there have been a number of sad, long-term consequences because of that marriage and the children, etc., etc. However, a lot of money has been channeled into the Lord's work through that marriage. <laughs> Interesting. I like to think of this wealthy unbeliever 
as one of the Gibeonites, who has become a woodcutter and water carrier for the service of the Lord. You see the illustration? It does happen. God has ways of picking up the pieces. Romans 8.28 says that all things work together for good for the believer. All things are not good, but all things work together for good. And that includes our foolish mistakes and the consequences that follow, including God's discipline. How much better, of course, it would be not for us to make foolish covenants. Remember, foolish covenants made before God may have long-term consequences. What about practical application? We don't have to be deceived. We don't have to be deceived. As we come to the close of this chapter, you may be saying to yourself that, wow, Satan's deception is so subtle. I mean, there's no way I can avoid being deceived, even if I'm praying about it. After all, angels of light can be very convincing. Listen to the words of 1 Corinthians 10.13. Wonderful promise for the believer. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. What a promise. Notice God will not allow any deceptive tactic of Satan to be too subtle for us to detect. We don't have to be deceived. 